Welcome to On the Other Side, where we talk crypto, culture, and society, and how crypto might shape society and change how real humans live their actual lives. It's something we do not talk enough about. Every week, I have on cool people from the crypto industry to talk about what they're building and what the implications of that might be for real human beings. Today, I'm super excited to have Brian Flynn, the co-founder and CEO of Rabbit Hole, on the show. Not only did Brian push me to start this podcast, but he's also doing some really interesting work when it comes to encouraging and enabling participation instead of just speculation in the crypto world. Brian has been a thinker and an experimenter in crypto for a long time, so he's got some really good takes, and I hope you enjoy the show. Brian, thank you for coming on my show. Yeah, Chase, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. So do you want to give me a little lay of the land of what you're working on with Rabbit Hole, how you got into crypto, the the whole nine yards? Yeah, definitely. So my background actually was in gaming. I was a professional gamer for a number of years, eventually found my way down the crypto rabbit hole after trading CSGO skins. And I was really interested in the idea of digital goods. When I went to, when I went to college, I had a, a peer-to-peer delivery startup and I was actually trying to find a way to build it on Ethereum because running into fraud problems, but realized we were about 10 years too early, but that kind of brought me down Ethereum. Um, and then it wasn't really until 2018 when uh, NFTs really started taking off with CryptoKitties, where I really found myself in a position to kind of go deeper and figure out what are the best types of applications to build in this space. Um, so I wrote about a newsletter called Nifty News for about three years and started working at Dapper Labs, really focused on bringing more mainstream consumers into crypto. But while I was there, I realized that many consumers who are actually using these crypto applications don't understand or actually using crypto and don't actually understand what it means to participate in a crypto economy. So when I left Dapper, I had a plan of, of trying to build more applications that actually give users an understanding of what they're actually using in a much more friendly and gamified way. And so that was really the first iteration of Rabbit Hole where we trying to get more people into the crypto space by building an achievements platform we guiding them down in a visual rabbit hole itself. And so we've worked with a number of projects to kind of create the first rabbit holes for each of these things. Mm-hmm. So we've worked with Gnosis, Perpetual Protocol, and Stable, OpenSea, Aave, and a bunch of others. I might have a few others in the pipeline right now, but really excited about how we can actually make more people come down the rabbit hole and join us. What does participation in these protocols actually look like? Like you're talking about bringing mainstream users in. What does that actually mean? Yeah. So, so one of the big problems in crypto right now is that most people are just focused on token prices and speculation. People know what it means to have Shiba or, or Dogecoin or, you know, trade on Uniswap. No one actually knows what it means to like be an owner in, in these in these protocols. And protocols are a lot like cities. You have to build these cities kind of from the ground up. And you need people to kind of take ownership and, and be sort of a governor and, and a leader in these things itself outside of the core team. And no one really understands that for the first time actually happening. And so what we're really trying to focus on is how do we convert people from being speculators to actually giving, having them care about the token price to actually becoming a governor and becoming a leader in each of these things. And that is actually by building new types of reputation based off like on-chain transaction history. It's no longer about, you know, their, their social media posts or their blogs, but really about, you know, how can they actually start building uh, a true verified way of proving their skill in, in a non-chain way. And so 
there are, there's a lot of ways that protocols are, have some positive, some value. I think good examples of this is like uh, Gnosis Safe creating like multi-sigs or Xora creating curation marketplaces, Audius creating decentralized music marketplaces. But a lot of these things are creating positive, some experiences. And so we're just trying to find ways to actually guide people down these different and, be, and having them become actual users instead of just, you know, liquidity mining or, or uh, trading stick coins on exchanges. So when you think about the types of protocols and products then that you, that like rabbit hole users are incentivized to use, how do you, how do you decide what you want to encourage people to actually use? Yeah, it's a good question. There's always a mix between what are like the project's needs and what are the needs that Project Bull wants to incentivize. But a lot of the interactions that you do in Rabbit Hole are always positive some that are that are bringing value to the actual protocols itself. And we usually don't do anything with with uh, projects that are zero sum across the board. We, we're kind of choosing into who we actually work with. And how do you educate users about that? We're curating the right experiences for the users. So we don't actually need to let them know that they're taking the positive some experiences. That's interesting. So then like longer term, if if the model is ownership, right? Like if if users begin to own and be sort of important parts of these communities that exist for different protocols. How do you think about onboarding users from, okay, this is a curated experience to actually like you are now an owner. There's some responsibility that comes with that. What does that, what does that look like? Yeah. So a lot of it is a transition from like the onboarding experience of here are the interactions of this ecosystem. Here are the things you can do to now like becoming a governor. It's like once they have the tokens and how do you actually make decisions to like change the protocol? So we have this first stage, which is now sort of the onboarding experience, but then we have the second phase of the product also launching soon, which actually will help people make decisions on the protocols that they're, they're being onboarded to and being able to delegate to other users on rabbit hole to help them make those decisions and create proposals to benefit each of those communities. So we're providing the groundwork to kind of funnel people into these different communities and ecosystems and digital cities and now get, creating a rule set for them to change these protocols as an owner. So then something that I think is interesting to think through is this concept of participation. A lot of people don't vote in government elections. How do you get users to vote in very detailed or nuanced governance proposals and and all of that type of thing? Yeah, There's, there's two ways to look at this. One way is incentivized voting which is basically giving people micropayments to, to vote on every single proposal that has some long-term effect. Usually that leads to people just like clicking yes or no without actually thinking about the implications. So there's some trade-offs there. But the second way of thinking about it is actually finding the right people who care enough and actually giving them the way, giving them the tools they need to vote and create proposals, right? I think right now there's a limited amount of people who actually care, but if we can give people the ability to care, by giving them the right tool and giving them extra motivations to actually create these proposals, then we can actually kind of get people more involved in the system. It's actually the same problem that the U.S. government has right now. How do you actually incentivize people to go into government and to, you know, want to be a member of Congress? That, that's kind of, that's not any millennials dream right now. And so that is sort of what we're trying to figure out with the ecosystem is how can we actually encourage more people to kind of go into this line of work and create more proposals to benefit the bigger protocols. And the answer to that is incentivizing them in some capacity. With both intrinsic and extrinsic motivations, yeah. So this is what I want to dive into a little bit more. With the extrinsic motivation stuff, you and I have talked about a thread that Danny Zuckerman tweeted that I think is super interesting around 
what communities might look like if we really, really heavily put incentives in the basic sort of foundation of them. I want to hear your take first on like the entire concept of what it might look like to have communities that are tokenized to the point where it actually hurts them, but also like longer term, how to avoid that, or at least like build with that in mind. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of like early interesting examples in the crypto space that show the future of what this world might look like. So like Steemit was a a blogging platform created um, in 2016, 2017 that roared people with micropayments and crypto for actually creating posts and creating content. And what actually ended up happening was that a lot of the content was very low quality and very transactional in nature because people weren't actually posting quality things. They just wanted the free money and some, some concept. And this is also happening with like social tokens right now where people are basically creating social tokens and providing very low meaningful work to actually just earn some free crypto as, as a whole. And so part of the issue is uh, if we can actually start creating communities from just creating uh creating tokens really easily is how do we actually build a community where they actually want to be a part of it instead of just the the financial incentives and in one way to do that I th- well i think there's two ways to do it the, the first way to do it is actually by providing filters for people to get engaged so no longer is it about for people to buy a token or get rewarded for doing something but actually whitelisting someone for having the right skill set in order to earn tokens right so actually having some sort of credentials or proof of proof of x on chain to actually give them the ability to start earning um i think the longer term implications of this is when every when a community becomes tokenized is that a lot of the tokens themselves uh, aren't going to feel like real financial value. They're, just, they're going to feel much more, much more fun and much more gamified. This is the world where there's 500 million tokens being, you know, being created every single day and we're getting tokens and some of them have liquidity, some of them don't, but it's going to be just long tail tokens that lets us create this entirely new social graphs that get people engaged in, in some capacity. I think a good example of this is like one day there'll be a, like a chef's club that's like a global club and no longer will be on a subreddit, but it will just be represented by a token. And so if you have the chef's token, then you'll have like 50 different interfaces built around the chef token itself, teaching people different recipes and where, where the chefs hang out, what you're talking about, you know, different jobs that you can get as a chef, like kind of et cetera. Then you can also have, say, like a you know, like like a, like a rap a rap token itself, talking about the latest music uh, from Drake or something. And so, if you have say the the chef token and the rap token, then you can find the overlap between you know everyone who has those two tokens in entirely on chain capacity. And then you could start um, matching those people based off those interests. And so, owning a token basically doesn't become just about the like, intrinsic financial incentive. But it becomes more about the signaling and community perspective that you get. It becomes part of your identity. And so. That's a world where people actually start acknowledging the benefits of having an on-chain social graph with different types of tokens, as opposed to this sort of transactional nature where you're kind of just earning different tokens back and forth. But we need to break that mindset of tokens representing financial value before we actually move to that type of future. How do we break the mindset? You're asking the most existential question of crypto. (laughs) Do you have any thoughts on it? Like an initial, even like, Because I think it's such a big challenge that no matter what, when you bring money into anything, you end up sort of supercharging it with a lot of dopamine. And I think we've seen that in a lot of bull runs already. And I think we see that in like the crypto community right now. So this idea of decoupling tokens and money is a hard one to understand. 
I don't think there's there's anything a single person or project can do to like kind of decouple this and to kind of shift that mindset. I think it's just something that society will flip itself one day where there's just such an influx of tokens being created where more and more of these niche communities being created every day. Like for example, there's a uh, there's a token representing uh, crypto designers. There's a token representing crypto developers right now. And owning those tokens kind of give you some piece of that identity. But eventually that will exist for every niche and every type of community. And it will just be someone kind of maintaining each of those to kind of give it some type of value where each of those are also creating their own NFTs and some capacity to actually drive some revenues for that community itself by selling those NFTs. And so I think that will just have to play out over a long enough time period. It'll probably take two to three years till that actually starts happening. And I think once that happens, then we'll no longer actually see these tokens as like financial value, but more as sort of like a playful value in some capacity. So like in that world where token and identity become very like tightly connected, how does something like rabbit hole fit in? Like, is there... Is there this element of, okay, you have on-chain history and now this becomes sort of your guide and and everyone has like a very different trip down the rabbit yeah. hole? Like, how do you think about that? Exactly. So your your token balances and your on-chain transaction history will change your interface and change your experience. So if you have specific tokens in your wallet, you're only going to have the specific type of work that requires to have that token. Or same if you have a certain type of on-chain transaction history, you'll only get work because you have the on-chain transaction history. So the interfaces are going to change based upon your specific identity. And I don't think that will be just the case for rabbit hole, but I think that'll be the case for every single aggregator because you can actually uh, tell what level a user is. When I say level, I mean, if they're a beginner, if they're intermediate or advanced, the first time they connect your wallet is you can actually start reading their transaction history. So I think most projects are gonna start bifurcating their UI and their, their first time user experience into if you have like a lot of tokens in your wallet, a lot of transaction history, you can start guiding them to more of an advanced experience. But if they're a brand new user who has no transaction history, no token balances, you give them a very nice onboarding experience, a much more educated experience to kind of get them started into your application. So with something like that, what do you think the best strategy is for projects like Rabbit Hole, but also like outside of that to avoid this sort of the rich become richer type issue? I think there's always going to be a scenario where protocols want uh, sophisticated users where it can actually um, start growing the protocol. And so they're going to be incentivizing the advanced users. But I also think that there's something very valuable about a, a brand new user being able to start earning income from anywhere in the world and start showing their value in cases. I think there will be a point where crypto starts feeling a lot like a normal RPG game, normal MMO, where you're basically a low-level user and you're basically, you know, you're earning a little bit of income here and there until you start proving your worth and getting upskilled and started training yourself as like this new digital economy participant, eventually to the point where you start earning these different credentials and then you're eligible to then do much more sophisticated work and earn even more. So it, it, it's, while it is sort of like a rich, rich, get richer scenario, it's also just about trying to upscale more people to perform certain digital jobs in each of these different protocols. That's a very interesting angle of how to think about it. I'm also curious from your perspective, when you're thinking about something like gamification, like today in crypto, how do you think it'll change for users longer term? Like, especially whether it's rabbit hole or other types of like applications, it does kind of feel like today we have a lot of basic gaming design patterns that exist, especially when we're thinking about even like NFTs. I'm curious how you, how you think that'll change. Yeah. 
there won't be a single so gamification will be synonymous with reputation eventually and reputation systems won't be standardized in some concept everyone will have their own different standard sort of like a language so there'll be a group of applications that have like one reputation system that are all sharing between them and using each other's contracts as sort of an input to determining that reputation level. But similar applications are gonna have entirely new languages which means entirely new reputation systems. And so like users are gonna basically have to pick which one they kind of wanna be a part of, which one they wanna optimize for. Um, and so I think that will just be constantly changing over time. Hmm. So you get to select what context you wanna exist in basically. Yeah, same, same, same with basically being able to choose which blockchain you want to transact with. There's something interesting about that from the perspective of like, I think even today, your reputation is kind of tightly coupled with the blockchain that you decide to be involved with or the blockchains that you decide to be involved with. Do you think that there will be a world in which you sort of end up having people who are like reputation hoppers is not the right word, like uh, community hoppers where you have a terrible reputation in one community. And so you're able to build it up in a different one. Like, do you think those silos will exist? Um, there'll be scenarios where you could basically be given a reputation on one, one different instance because you have a reputation on another. And mm. if it, or if they say, if you burn your reputation on one instance, will give you more reputation on this one. So they kind of retain you as more of an existing user. I think there will be a lot of that. And it kind of happens with NFTs in some capacity where people are basically incentivized to burn NFTs of say like a competitor to you know gain you some type of incentive. Um, but there's gonna be a lots of different ways to kind of gain the system to actually start um, tricking and motivating users to like going down each of these different paths. I think this, when this will first take off is with under collateralized loans and probably gonna start in the next, like I'd say like three to six months where people are basically, they'll be given some type of reputation score and they give some, some, some credit score essentially. And the more risky actions they take in, in lending, the more that that credit score is gonna go up. So that's gonna hurt their ability to actually get loans in under collateralized way. And then the more loans they pay back, the more they participate in crypto, the more they'll be able to pick up how they grow. So that should be a really interesting test of like how these reputation systems are gonna be built up over time. The thing that actually scares me the most is how dark it gets really fast. If these reputation systems and under collateralized lending get pretty robust, then they can actually start to motivate the user in ways that are potentially harmful. For example, there might be some ways where you actually get a better credit score uh, if you like hack a smart contract or actually you know harm a protocol or community in specific ways. And so I think there'll be uh, bounties given out for these like these actions that are actually trying to be harmful. I think we see some Black Mirror episodes on that as well. So I'm really cautious of, of that type of world. Really, we're focused on rabbit hole is driving those positive some interactions with positive reputation systems that there's no such thing as having negative credit scores or potentially cause harmful effects. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think even like the basic concept of like what happens when you short a social token is like, it gets dark quickly, I think, in a lot of ways. And I think, yeah, adding money into the picture only makes it worse. I'm also curious when you're talking about some of these things, like I think in the traditional world, the ways that like social, not just social capital, but just like relationships play a role in a lot of these systems is like pretty strong. Rabbit hole and beyond, like how do you think about something like the fact that you and I know one another being something that can impact my reputation or yours? 
there's definitely going to be instances of being able to signal other people or individuals as being trustworthy. Say if you have no transaction history, I have a transaction history and some credit score based on some people that are funding. I can basically transfer some reputation score to you. And then if say you get liquidated or you do something that affects like all get slashed as well in, in sort of that context. So I think we'll start to see uh, a lot of that play out um, mostly in the, in the delegated peer-to-peer lending. Hmm. Interesting. Because part of it to me is like, we were just talking about how you trust news. And if you use Twitter and you use like mutuals on Twitter to proxy trust, then it feels like there's a layer of that that is going to be maybe a challenge to to transition from what feels like social connection being a real proxy for trust to like having a lot less of that. Even if it's like reputation tokens, like it feels like that's actually further away from these like very intricate social networks than we have today. Yeah, totally. I think there's also a lot to be said here about that personal and social tokens and how that affects uh, sort of this sort of psychology. So even having my own social token last year, there's, there's quite a bit of psychology that goes into what happens when your social token goes down. It's, it's a worse feeling than, you know, losing followers on Instagram, which many people also freak out about. So in a world where everyone has their own personal token and we're shorting everyone uh, and everyone's losing, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars overnight, which you know, exists sometimes on paper. I think there's going to be uh, a lot that goes into how, how culture changes because of this as well. That should be an interesting phenomenon that plays out. Do you think that people will have liquid social tokens? I think there's going to be up to a certain dollar amount for the right person. If, for, for other people, I think it's going to be a lot harder to have liquidity. But it, it really goes back to what I was saying before about being able to have the on-chain social graph. It's because I have Chase token, then it's going to be uh, a lot easier to represent that relationship. And then if I have like a Chef token as well, so it's like signaling towards you in some capacity, but it's also having that Chef token. And so I think the new social network is actually having tokens of, of, of people that you're associated with in some capacity, actually representing your identity and how that traverses through different interfaces. So in your like vision of the world where like this is the mm-hmm. the foundation and then everything is built on top of these like holding of other people's social tokens and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Do you think that this like psychology of social tokens is going to be something where like even like BitClout, I mean, I feel like is a great example of people going, holy shit, we can make money off of, well, people were already making money. A lot of the people who... I think have promoted it the most who are like not even crypto people. But do you think that like mainstream, you know, parents, whoever, like just random people will hold social tokens in the way that like you follow someone on Twitter and that's that? I think you're already starting to see this with like NFTs in some scenario where you're kind of getting NFTs as sort of like a receipt for interacting with the group or community. But I think it'll eventually make its way to fungible tokens where you're basically um, getting fungible tokens as sort of like a loyalty or loyalty points or your association with something because you've done some on-chain interaction or you bought something from like a grocery store or or, um, or supported someone on like Patreon or something. And then you're a culmination of these different tokens represent sort of these relationships with those people. And then I think you can, I think that will be, I think that that'll be the most interesting thing to kind of see how like social networks interfaces are built around like these, the interconnections between these different um, tokens on different people. But I totally see that like most people are gonna have like 
tokens in your wallet and connect interfaces. I think most applications that rely on matchmaking, so things like recruiting or uh, dating or things like that, will actually be using tokens in your wallet to help you find those people because it's a much better indication of your interests and how they actually lie with each other. And you won't actually have to populate any data to actually make those connections. You basically just connect your wallet and it reads all those tokens you have in your wallet, all your on-chain transaction history. It'd be a lot easier to find those people, those opportunities because of that. Please describe to me a world in which Tinder is token-based. The the scenario is basically um, everyone has, you know, 200 different tokens in their wallet. Everyone has some transaction history. They have, say, let's use like the chef token or say like the chase token or a sock token. You can basically find people who have like similar types of tokens who've done similar type of on-chain transaction history and match them a lot easier with a lot less fraud and a lot less catfishing because they actually able to map those scenarios a lot better together without actually having to curate the data, I've populated data as an individual user. And so a lot of those things will simply just be connect your wallet and find the most suitable person connected to you based off that based off those holdings. So do you think that like companies that provide the most value in this world are going to be companies that are able to best leverage on-chain data to like say match people? Like, is that going to be the IP basically? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The the, the the interesting thing is that all that will be open source in some capacity, right? So a lot of it will be public funding and um, actually curating the right data sets as opposed to just like one large corporation actually dictating the algorithms. Because last thing we do, if we actually have like some like overlord matchmaker in some in some setting, we, we don't want that controlled by one company because that, that can be pretty dangerous. So mm-hmm. it's really important that we actually make that decentralized to make that happen. So it feels like then like the, the beauty of things being decentralized is that because it's all on chain, like n- no corporation owns the data, but there there would be a benefit to a company coming in and having, you know, a closed source algorithm, let's say for, matching people, but also, yeah, like a, a way to curate data sets from on-chain history. Um, yes, but I think there'll be a, there'll be a lot of backlash against corporations who do that. I think open source will, will be a lot like sustainable food or like, or like, or like being a vegetarian. If you want to actually consume things that are open source, as opposed to closed source in the same way that you rather consume things that are plant-based as opposed to meat-based. I have never thought about it that way. Like I'm picturing my mom preferring open source software for no reason other than it's open source. Yeah, it's it's a funny thing to think about, but I think a lot more people are going to care about things if they actually know what they're using. There's going to be a lot of, when people actually hold their own keys and they're being tricked into things, they're actually going to want to be, they're going to know what they're interacting with in some cases. They're going to actually be, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of companies that will flag things that they're not closed source. They won't be incorporating them. If the contracts aren't open source in some, in some, some contexts, they're just not going to include them as part of these like larger data set um that would be like a mandatory thing in order for them to uh, be used in, in sort of the downstream network effects interesting so part of my part of like what is known about me might be that i do or don't use open source products for example like if if i'm on like a dating app and the equivalent of saying like oh i'm vegetarian you don't have to say it but it's evident it's like the initial check of whether or not someone's values are aligned with yours. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Interesting. So after rabbit hole, you'll be building the decentralized Tinder. 
<laughs> yeah, that's right. Totally. Well, Brian, thank you so much for chatting with me. I cannot yeah. wait for decentralized Tinder to hit the streets. I think I think it's going to be super interesting. And I really appreciate hearing your thoughts on participation and social tokens and, and all that stuff. Yeah, no problem, Chase. Thanks for having me. If you like what you heard, please make sure to subscribe and rate the podcast. I always forget to do this for podcasts that I like, but it's actually really useful. Also, please hit me up on Twitter if anything resonated with you. I'm at Chaser Chapman. Tweet at me. Let me know what you think. And also let me know if there's anyone you think I should have on the show. Thanks again for listening.